us again as we've been talking over the past few weeks regarding the church, you know, just as we are preparing ourselves to move into a, a new space, a new place, a new building, a new um, framework for our church, we want to make sure that we understand what the true purpose of the church is, what God has called us, the individuals who make up the church, to actually be. And so if you remember last week, we read through a what I would say is a pretty heavy text, and I will be the first to admit that it was heaven for it was heavy for me to even prepare it. But the point in reading from the book of Revelation last week was not for us to feel hopeless as individuals or even as a church. Um, really, on the contrary, it was to help us see and know what we are to do and what God requires of us in order to return our hearts and our affections back to him and back to the true calling of the church. Now, if you remember, he says to them in the book of Revelation that they are to repent. The church at Ephesus was to go back to its first love and do their first works over again. Now, that return to that love is about the inner workings of the church and the heart of it. But we need to understand what those first works were, were exactly. And so that's why today we'll be looking at 1 John. We're going to go to chapter 3. And we're looking at verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. John writes this. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we prepare to eat from the table of your word. Um, we thank you that you are giving us this truth, that you are bringing us together, God, as a church that honors you, that glorifies you, um, that goes against the trends of the world today, but are building our foundation on the word of God. Lord, we are encouraged that if we know that you are the Son of God, sent to take away the sins of the world, that if we build the church on that, there is nothing that Satan can do to stop it. We're grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John opens up, and just looking at this, it is similar to what we saw last week in the sermon that he gives in that word to the Ephesian church. As he writes, he says that the message you have heard from the beginning, is that you should love one another. Now, when he says this, that this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, 
What does that mean exactly? Well, that is literally a reference to the teaching that they received from Jesus himself when the Pharisees were trying to weigh out their obedience to the law. They wanted all of their righteousness to be that they were obedient to the law. But Jesus says that love is only born out of love. But that love shows itself in two dynamic ways. There are two dynamic ways that God's love shows up. The love for God's law is the first way. If you love God, you will love his law. And then the second way is, if you love God, you will love God's people. I was at the barbershop last Saturday, not this past Saturday, and I saw a group of Hebrew Israelites. I called John right after their encounter, and they were out there trying to lead people astray. And anybody that knows me knows I just kind of stood on the other the corner with my hands on my hips and waited for one of them to engage, and of course he did. And when he got over there, he started to say, well, you know, this obedience and law stuff. And I asked him, I said, yes, we should be obedient to God's law. Nobody's disagreeing with you there. I said, but I think we have two different ideas of how that happens. And I said, do you know what the Bible says the key to our obedience is? I said, love. He says, yes, you have to love the law. I said, no. You have to love God, and then you'll love his law. See, this is what he wanted. He wanted his love for obedience to give him a heart for God. But that equation just doesn't work. Even if someone loved the law apart from Christ, the truth is that they would love the law not because they wanted to be obedient to it, but it made them appear to be righteous. As a church, there's a thin line between us doing good for Christ's sake and us doing good to be seen of men. And we really have to examine this. Why? Why all throughout the Gospels does Jesus warn us about doing our works to be seen of men? Remember, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who make it well known that they are praying. He says, do not be like them who, when fasting, fix their face in a way to show everyone that they're fasting. He even says, when you do good deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what is up with that? What is all the secrecy for? Well, let's think about it. The person who does good deeds only to be seen of others is seeking their validation, their affirmation, their approval in life from other people because of their works. They aren't motivated by any sense of love. They're not motivated by any sense of obligation for God. They were doing it because they love the idea of looking good. See, even if a church goes out and makes it their purpose to do as much for others as possible, help as many people as possible, if much of their motivation is to be seen so people will know them for their good works, they take pictures of it and they share it on social media, 
then they won't be known for their love. They will be known for their works. See, love is not about how the masses view something you do. It is how it impacts the individual, whether anyone else sees it or not. Jesus tells us this in Matthew. I was just quoting from him. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, uh oh, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. If the church is going to represent Christ and if it will fulfill his purposes in the earth, then it must be rooted in love for him and love for his people. Doing good deeds for your own sake, even if it helps somebody else, is not really loving them. Now, you may disagree with this, but all scripture is true. And when Paul names some things about what love isn't, do you know one of the things that he says love isn't? He says love is not boastful. Interesting. Love is not boastful. There was a man named Simon who had fallen on hard times. He'd been laid off his job and it was becoming increasingly difficult for him to take care of his most basic needs. Now, Simon had been living in the same neighborhood for about 15 years, and so he knew his neighbors pretty well, and his neighbor, Andrew, started to notice that he seemed to be struggling a little bit. And so he decided that he would pay his bills for him as long as he needed. Now, Simon said to him he would pay him back as soon as he could, but Andrew rejected. He says, no, I don't want you to pay me back for anything. He was grateful. And Andrew's exact words to him were, love is what love does. Well, about after six months, he'd gotten another job. he had gotten caught up on his bills, and he felt like he was back where he needed to be. But then Simon started to get some interesting remarks from some people. They kept saying how grateful he should be for Andrew's help, how thankful he should be that Andrew stepped in and saved saved him. And after about the 10th time, he asked somebody, how did they know about what Andrew had done for him? He says, how do you know about that? And they said that he posted it on Facebook. Upset, he went to Andrew's house and held up his phone with the post. And he quoted to him, I guess love is what love does. See, if we want to see the church come alive again, then we have to do what we were called to do in the beginning, which is love one another. Now, we are not loving the way the world does. We are not loving for our own good. We are loving for the glory and to the glory of God. So the church comes alive when we love one another. We know that. But then look at what John says here. He says that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one 
and murder his brother. Now, why does John use this comparison here to Cain? We know that he murdered his brother, but we also know that he did it because of the jealousy that he had in his heart. But you see, let's let's understand this. Cain, in his own mind, had given his sacrifice. And all he wanted was that God would accept the sacrifice that he would give it, that he had given, even though his heart was not in the proper place to be given a sacrifice. Now, the truth is, is that in our nature, we want to be just like Cain. Truthfully, we all wish that love just was what it does. But it isn't. If it was, God would have gladly taken Cain's offering. If love is just what it does, then he'd say, I don't care about where your heart is as you give it. As long as you give it, that's all that matters. That is probably one of the most damaging things that we have taught in the church for years. If you just give your tithes, then you're good with God. No, if your heart has not been given to the Lord, then nothing else you give to the Lord is really going to matter. See, in the same way, Cain said, look, I know my heart's not right, but I want to give you this sacrifice anyway because love is what love does, God. And if I do it, then you'll accept it. But he didn't. He rejected it. And I can imagine Cain with this baffled look on his face, and God tells him, if you do well, will it not be accepted of you? But if you don't, sin lies crouching at the door, and his desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. Because even though he was willing to give his sacrifice, his heart wasn't in it. Now, what is God warning us about here? Don't be like Cain. Cain wanted his works to be enough, but they weren't. And when he saw that his brother had righteousness from God, he hated him and he killed him. Y'all, I don't want any of us who thinks that we're going to be a part of God's church to think that our works are ever going to be enough apart from a heart redeemed by God. God doesn't care how much you show up. He doesn't care how much you give. He doesn't care how much you read your Bible. If your heart is not in his hands, then it's all for naught. See, when the Pharisees wanted their works to be enough, and when they weren't, they saw Jesus, who was righteous, and they killed him as a result. So Cain kills his brothers. The Pharisees kill their brother in Jesus. Why do I bring all this up? Simple. Because it is far easier to appear to love God's truth And love God's law when we really just love looking good. But see, John presents this dichotomy for us. He says, hate is not the way of the righteous, but it is the way of the wicked. The righteous love, the wicked hate. If we are the church, then we will certainly love, but we have to know that we are loving, not expecting to be loved in return. 
We are not loving so that that love is reciprocated. We are loving in response to how we have already been loved. But the world will hate us. Why? Why, though? Why does the world hate us? I bet in an era of church media and marketing, you probably wouldn't put this on the billboard, and I guess we won't put it when we move into our building, but it's for consideration. Pastor Mike said he was thinking about putting it on the outside of Harvest. We love you, but you probably going to hate us. No one would ever put that on their billboard. But you see, that is the reality of the church. That is what we are up against because on, in, on one hand, we are standing up and saying that we love God's truth and will defend it. And loving you is telling you the truth in grace and in love. Now, Jesus was the epitome of this. When the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery is brought to Jesus, they want to catch him stuck between two options. Either they want Jesus to disregard the law and let this woman go free, or disregard what you've been teaching us about forgiveness and grace and condemn her according to the law. See, they thought they had Jesus in between a rock and a hard place. They say, Jesus, you can only pick between one of these two things. And what does he do? He does neither. He doesn't disregard the law, and yet he also doesn't condemn her. Rather, he says, why don't you who are without sin be the first to condemn this woman? Throw your stone. You want me to uphold the law. Why don't you uphold the law? And there's still no one. How could he both uphold the law and uphold this woman at the same time? Love. The challenge for the church is for us to epitomize what Jesus is to us. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this past week. We went to lunch, and I said, you know, as a pastor, I've learned I don't have the privilege to get up in the pulpit and be dogmatic about everything because you're pastoring people. You can stand up here and say fornication is wrong, but you got to give them some context. You got to give it to them from the Bible. You got to explain why God says it's wrong, what the ramifications of it being wrong, and what the effects are on us. But you also got to give them redemption as well. See, unfortunately, far too often when we think we're epitomizing the church, we want to be either this or that. We either want to condemn the woman or we want to let her go free. But to love the way Jesus loves is neither one of those things. It's the third option. It's love. This is what it says. It says, by this we know love. How do we know it? That he laid down his life for us. But then what's the charge? We love quoting that part, but that ain't even the complete verse. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we 
ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Mm. We, the church, know love because Jesus gave us the greatest demonstration of love. But the servants are not greater than the master. If he was willing to lay down and give up his life, how much more should we be willing to lay down and give up our lives? Love isn't what love does. But I can tell you like this, love will do what love already is. The call and challenge to us is to love others the way that we have been loved. That is more than just a lip service. Loving people and loving God the way we've been loved is a life service. That is us laying down our lives, sparing no expense so that no one may be lost. Look at what he says here in 1 John again, but in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, look at this, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. How will the world know Christ the same way that we have come to know him? Our conviction, but more so the humility of having been redeemed by the sinless lamb of God will be the reason we exist. Listen, the charge from Christ has always been whatever the measure that the world has for love, that we break through that barrier. If someone makes you go with them a mile, go another. If someone takes your clothes, give them your other garment as well. If someone slaps you, offer to them the other cheek. Now, we know he didn't literally mean these things, but what he's saying is the world has a measure of their love and it's always about what is being reciprocated back to you. But you see, he loved us not when we were loving him. He loved us when we were crucifying him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what Jesus says? He says, what good is it, brothers, if you love those who love you? But the charge, if you're really going to be a Christian, if you're really going to be a believer, how can you love those who can't stand you? How can you walk in to work with people you know don't like you and still display the love of Jesus? Look, 
It ain't through salt and vinegar that people are drawn to Christ. It's through love and through kindness. If we want people to know who this Jesus is that we're talking about, not only do they need to hear about it, but they need to see it. We don't ever want to become like the members of Westboro Baptist Church. If you've never heard of them, go YouTube or Google Westboro Baptist Church. You know what they're known for? They are more known for their hatred of Rome than for their love of God. But just defending God's truth without offering people a solution for redemption. That's hypocrisy. I shared it in our devotion one time, and I want to share it with y'all again because it is true. We want to be Christians both in principle but also in practice. If any of us ever went to the doctor and the doctor came in after we had gotten some results back and told us, you have stage four cancer, and then walked out the room, they might be a doctor in principle, but not in practice. Because a real doctor doesn't just tell you what the problem is. The doctor tells you this is the stage, this is where it is, this is the treatment, and this is what we are going to do about it. Well, my brothers and sisters, the same charge should be for us as Christians. We don't just need to go around telling folks, you're in sin, and think the door is closed. We need to say, you're in sin. This is how far along you've been in it. This is what we are going to do about it. And this is what Jesus has done to take it away. This is the treatment plan for your sin, and it's a bleeding Savior on the cross. See, when Jesus healed a man, He told that same man that his sins were forgiven. And the Pharisees heard this, they were livid. And they said, who are you to say that their sins are forgiven? And I love what Jesus says here. He says, listen, which is easier, to heal a man or to forgive his sins? There is a lot of truth here, but Jesus hits us here, but he wants to make something clear. To heal their afflictions was easy compared to the authority that one needed to forgive their sins. If we look at this from the perspective of the church, what's easier? Just for us to do good stuff, to hand out people's stuff, to go do good deeds, to show up once a month, once a week, hand some things up out and go back home, or to love people self-sacrificially in a way that the only thing they can say to us about us is that these people have been with Jesus. Listen, in my own experience, 
it's easier to hand out a gift or food or clothes or anything to somebody and not have to get involved with their lives. It's really easy to think that people's greatest need is their clothing or their food or their shelter. That, that's easy. But the hard part is when you start getting involved with their lives, when you start loving them and suffering long with them. It's hard to suffer long with people who hate you and disparage you, yet returning to them, recommitting ourselves to them over and over again, despite the way that they treat us, to love them over and over again. Now, I can tell you, the world is going to look at us and say, what in the world is wrong with these people? They take this abuse. They're hated. They're despised. They're mocked. What could possibly be wrong with them? And it's this simple. We love because of how much we have been loved. A man went to the cross on our behalf and was treated like a piece of offering meat. Jesus was nearly torn to shreds. And he didn't do it because we were lovable. We were hideously sinful against him. Yet, while we were yet sinners, he died anyway. That is why we love. That is how the world is going to know us for our love. Because we have been loved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, the song reminded us that you are faithful. You are faithful in the taking away of our sins. You have been faithful in healing us from our greatest condition, which was that we were sin sick, God. But you have offered on our behalf the sacrificial lamb who bore in his body our sins so that we can bear in our hearts his righteousness. God, there is no other love that compares to that. And God, while it may be easier for us to go the simple route in loving other people, we know that Jesus didn't go the simple route. All he had to do was just show people that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. He could have come down off the cross, but as we're reminded, love kept him there. It wouldn't let him get down. So God, we ask that you would empower us to epitomize the love that Jesus has had and shown and displayed for all of us. To love others even though they may not be lovable. Even though it may not be reciprocated. Even though people may not treat us the way we treat them. Knowing that we are doing it for and to your glory. 
God, help us come alive as the church as we get ready to move and transition to know that at the heart of what we do and who we are is love. It is a love born out of a devotion for you. And God, because we love you, we love your law and we love your people. God, if there's anyone who is here who doesn't know you, there's anybody watching who doesn't know you, I pray this is the day that you will sovereignly reveal yourself to them. Open their eyes, their ears, and their heart. And by your grace, save them. Lord, for all of us who are in here, I pray that we are challenged to love the way that we have been loved. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.